Monday night, May 6th at the Hyatt Regency in San Francisco. You're invited to join athletes and celebs at the Bay Area Sports Hall of Fame Enshrinement Dinner. Be there to celebrate this year's class featuring Olympic swimmer Jenny Thompson, San Jose Earthquakes legend Chris Wondolowski, Niners Super Bowl hero John Taylor, Sharks icon Patrick Marlowe, and the architect of the Giants dynasty, Brian Sabian. Be a part of this star-studded evening benefiting Special Olympics Northern California. To purchase tickets, visit Bayshoff.org. That's B-A-S-H-O-F.org. We have a chance to win the Stanley Cup. There's not many teams at the beginning of the year that can say that. We have a chance to, and and it's got to be on us to make that happen. You're listening to the San Jose Sharks Morning Tide with Ted Ramey. This is our opportunity. Our time is is now. Our window is now. 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 Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Morning Tide. I'm your host, Ted Ramey. Remember, each new episode of Morning Tide drops the morning after every single San Jose Sharks playoff game. So round two began last night. I know the wait was actually not killing me because I was still emotionally just wrapped up in everything that happened with game seven. And you had a couple of days to absorb that and get ready for the start of a new series. And, uh, you know, it was weird because you'd been so locked up into the idea of going up against the Vegas Golden Knights. You you had to start thinking about a new opponent and new challenges. And in my head, I could only start talking about how you know, this team was different from Vegas. Now this team was different from the Sharks. And blah. And just, I'm trying to think of these differences. It doesn't really matter how they compare to Vegas. It doesn't really matter how they compare to other opponents. The question was, what's the main attribute we thought of when we thought about Colorado? And that would be their speed, which I thought was definitely a factor in the first period on Friday night. But I thought that really overall, I think the Sharks handled it well throughout the entirety of the first game. Yes, there was the rush at the start from Colorado when they were really coming at the Sharks and they were going to try and push them. And I think they did this for a number of reasons. They wanted to get the Sharks off balance and they wanted to see just what exactly this Sharks team could take. Because the other factor of this, and I'll be honest here, I didn't really know what to expect in game one for the Sharks because I felt, and I think a lot of people talked about this, was that there would be some sort of emotional letdown for the Sharks coming from Game 7 into Game 1 of this series, regardless of the fact that the Sharks are the better team compared to the Avs. But listen, a Game 7 win like that, that's a a once-in-a-generation type win for any team, not just the Sharks, but I mean, we're talking about all of sports, North American sports, you're only going to see something like that once in a generation. That was miraculous. And also they're without their captain, Joe Pavelski. So that's going to have an impact on how things are on the ice. There's obviously the idea of, you know, they played without their captain for the final half of the period in game seven against the Vegas Golden Knights and it catapulted them and they used it as that motivation for that one cataclysmic moment that sent them beyond what anything we'd ever seen before when they went, you know, when they went super Saiyan and just absolutely exploded. But it's different when it's game seven and your season's on the line and your captain's just been brutalized and you're looking for something to be a moment of impact and inspiration to take you to the promised land. And that's what it did. But it's another thing when you're starting a new series against a new team and you don't have Pavelski out there. And instead of a, you know, a moment that catalyzes your team, it's a, it's a phantom limb feeling. It's where's our captain? Where's this guy we can put in front of the net and tip shots, particularly on a power play. You didn't miss Pavelski in the last half of the third period in game seven. And I don't mean that to sound callous, but I mean, 
that was such a weird, rare moment in sports. You're not thinking about the fact that Pavelski is not out there. The difference was as you get ready for game number one and Pete DeBoer starts talking about how Pavelski is not going to be out there, then you do notice the fact that he's not out there. And you do think about the fact that he's not going to be out there on the ice and not being the same motivating factor that he would be as a player. I know the absence of Pavelski as the captain and his emotional catalyst still is somewhat there because you want to go out there and do it for Pavs, but it is different when you have game one of a new series. It's the playoffs. It's the conference semifinals. Everybody, I think, would feel more comfortable if Pavs was out there. But the Sharks, they handled that rush. They handled that emotional letdown. Even though they did fall behind early, I thought that they were able to look towards veteran leadership, particularly Jumbo. Joe Thornton was everywhere on the ice last night. He was fighting for pucks down deep. He was making plays everywhere. Whether it was on the forecheck or a backcheck, just wherever Jumbo needed to be, he was out there using his size, using his veteran savvy, using his abilities. He had the first of the three unanswered goals that put the Sharks up eventually 4-2, to two, but I felt like he was one of those guys who, when they fell behind, he was going to be a point that they could jump off of, a point that they could really use to say, look at what Jumbo's doing for us. Look at what he's doing in a leadership role. He's been a captain before. He's one of the greatest hockey players of all time, and he flexed his will upon that game, and he showed everybody just how important he is. Even though he's almost 40 years old, he's still an elite passer. He's not as fast as he maybe once was, but he impacted that game as much as anyone did uh, for the Sharks last night. Now, you go beyond that from Joe Thornton, and I do want to get back to that third line for a second. We, from there, you got to talk about Martin Jones. Martin Jones, when the Sharks were down one nothing, was absolutely phenomenal, and he made ridiculous stops. And then same still, when they got behind 2-1, made some unbelievable stops. And Martin Jones, again, you go back to Pete DeBoer's decision to keep him as the goalie after a couple of bad starts for Martin when they were giving up goals in the first minute of each period, and just things were about as negative for the Sharks as they could have been. Pete DeBoer had all the reason in the world why he could have take why he could have been able to take Martin Jones out of that starting lineup and gone to Aaron Dell. But the thing is, Pete DeBoer is a lot smarter than me. He's a lot smarter than everybody else listening to this podcast that uh, isn't named Pete DeBoer. Or, you know, I assume that uh, other uh, former NHL players and coaches aren't tuning in as well, but I would still rank Pete above them. But Pete made the decision to bring his team as a rallying point around Martin Jones. He believed in him. He publicly endorsed him. He had the team publicly endorse him, or the team didn't need to be told to publicly endorse him, but they did anyway. And Martin Jones has responded, and he put together a beautiful performance in game number one against the Abs tonight, making some absurd saves, glove saves, pad saves, skate saves, a couple of nice stick saves, just, you know, doing everything he could. And he did not get negative after he gave up that early goal off a rebound and it was a fat rebound it went out there and caught a man in a in a good space and you know sometimes the puck's gonna fall to you that way it was bad puck luck for the Sharks great puck luck for the Avs the Sharks got a good rebound a, a few minutes later with Nyquist when he had the equalizer but the point is the Avs came at the Sharks took the early lead Martin Jones did not collapse. He didn't wilt. It was a relatively early goal, just over two minutes into the first period. There was all the reason in the world for him, maybe from that point on, to have a bad game or for the Sharks to feel maybe it wasn't their night or maybe that was the beginning of the emotional letdown. Instead, they weathered that storm, found the equalizer, were able to get themselves right back into the game, and instead of 
the abs using that as some sort of a momentum swing. The fact that the Sharks were able to rebound from that and get the equalizer from Nyquist, I think took a lot of wind out of their sails. And then I think you can talk about a similar instance with the four-minute penalty kill and then the equalizer from Jumbo. Those were the Sharks not wilting in the moment, and that is the, the depth of this team the leadership of this team, the talent of this team, the team design. You go down the list of everything this Sharks team represents. And listen, I I love all the trolling about the four-minute penalty kill. I thought the Sharks Twitter was all over that, and I uh, I laughed my head off. I thought it was great, and we should continue to troll Vegas about that. I have absolutely no problem with it in the slightest. But there were moments in the game where the Sharks could have had an emotional letdown, where they could have had a collapse, or they could have had any sort of reason to let the Avs take control of that game, but they didn't. They rolled with the punches, they weathered the storms, they bided their time, and then when the game opened up for them, when the game started going in favor of the Sharks' style, they were able to take advantage of it, and they found themselves with an upswing where they scored three unanswered. But that's what I think this team had to look to on a night where they were dealing with that potential letdown after Game 7, and they don't have Pavelski out there. You talk about where you're going to find your emotional moments in the game. You have two equalizers, and a four-minute penalty kill. For the Avs to give up those equalizers and not capitalize on the four minutes of power play, that's huge in favor of the Sharks. And the Sharks, again, that's the veteran leadership, that's the experience, that's the talent, that's everything that they were able to show against Vegas, maybe a little bit on a lesser level tonight. I don't think the intensity was quite the same. I don't think the game was quite the same as what we saw against Las Vegas. It's obviously a new series, but the Sharks... Even though they were not perfect, they came up big in critical moments and they came up big in the first game of the series on home ice. And one of the things I really felt was that for the Sharks going up against this this team in the Avs is that you have to take advantage of the home ice without Joe Pavelski. Because again, we're all assuming he's going to be back sooner than later, but I don't really know what any of us are basing that off of. We don't have a great deal of detail upon the injury. We don't know what his timeline exactly is going to be. So right now, you have to look at the Sharks and say, they've got home eyes for these first two games. We don't know when they're going to have Pavelski back. Are they in a position to take advantage of it? And are they doing what's needed to be done without Pavelski? And across the board, they answered those questions. And they got the win in game number one last night. And now it's just a matter of continuing to do the same things in game number two. But Martin Jones was absolutely unbelievable, but you got to find out what did we do wrong to give up so many shots. I thought there was a lot of, you know, just kind of turnovers and neutralized both ways. The Sharks have got to take care of that before you get into game number two. I thought that the Sharks third line, obviously with Jumbo and LeBanc, who scored just an unbelievable goal. Let's stop right here to take a a moment to remember that unbelievable goal from LeBanc, by the way. As LeBanc cuts in, avoids a hit. Kevin LeBanc scores! What a play start to finish for Kevin LeBanc. Sharks lead for the first time. And while we're talking about that third line, let's talk about Jumbo's goal as well, the big 2-2 equalizer. Johnson's blocked by Sorensen, and here they come two on one. Sorensen and Thornton. Joe Thornton scores! 
Yeah, and until that empty netter from Timo Meyer, which made it 5-2, you looked at those two goals from Jumbo and Kevin LeBanc as the third-line guys who had the big difference makers when the game was 4-2. And then, of course, you added that fourth goal from Brent Burns. Thornton quickly on him. Sorensen works it around. Comes to Burns with a shot. It scores! So those were the big three unanswered in the second period, which turned it from a 2-1 game to a 4-2 Sharks advantage. And really, you could tell the Avs at that point, even though they did have a rush at the start of the third, you could tell that they wilted, that they realized at that point just exactly what they were going up against in this Sharks team. And while we're talking about Brent Burns for a second, I do want to use him as a reference point from the overall efforting we saw from the Sharks tonight because I thought that was another reason why the Sharks won, just overall effort compared to what we saw from the Abs. And I thought one play from Brent Burns in particular was very, very indicative of why he was going down to block a shot and or a pass. He gave up his body, slid down on the ice, first attempt didn't block it, and then just spins his body in a helicopter-like motion to block what would have been a shot and or pass. And it just was plays like that that you saw from the Sharks throughout the course of game number one that you didn't see from the abs. And that's not to question the effort of the abs in the slightest, but that's why this Sharks team is so very, very dangerous and good and why they were able to come down three games to one against Las Vegas and put themselves in this position up one game to none after a 5-2 win on home ice without their captain, Joe Pavelski. All right, let's not waste any more time. We now have joining us the one and only Dan Ruzanowski, the radio play-by-play voice for the San Jose Sharks. And Ruzi, we talked earlier in the first series, and you said you wanted to come on and talk to me after a win, so we've been blessed with that opportunity. What a performance from those San Jose Sharks last night. There was every reason to me for there to potentially be an emotional letdown, but they just came out there and took care of business. Well, it took a little while for them to get their legs and certainly to uh, to deal with uh, just the adrenaline and, and the sheer amazing series that they just got through. They only had a couple of days off. That one extra day of rest probably helped, Ted, but... You knew Colorado was going to come in here the exact opposite, totally rested and ready to go by the same token, maybe a little rustier. And so both teams felt themselves out a little bit in the first period. Colorado, again, did what Vegas did to the Sharks early on, scoring in the first five minutes of of the game again. But the Sharks didn't let that bug them whatsoever. And in fact, uh, by maintaining their composure, getting the tying goal, and then feeding off a great night from a couple of different players. I mean, it was a total team effort. But Martin Jones's goaltending at the beginning of the game, Joe Thornton's line play for the entire contest, and, uh, you know, great plays by people like Logan Couture and Gus Nyquist and Timo Meyer uh, really helped. And I haven't even mentioned Brent Burns' name yet. Right. All he did, all he did was block six shots and have four <laughs> points. And he had a terrific night. Yeah, and well, I have this little checklist of things that I was talking about tonight, Dan, and you hit on a lot of them. I talked about emotions, Jumbo, Martin Jones, the third line, Brent Burns, um, and, you know, obviously not having Joe Pavelski an issue as well. I guess of the ones that I've listed here, where do you want to start with first? Well, let's start first with the, the absence of Joe Pavelski because he is such a, an important cog in the Sharks' wheel here. And, you know, we saw the inspiration that the Sharks took from responding to his injury in Game 7 and, and doing the legendary four power play goals and all of those amazing things. You have to put all that in the back of your mind now because that series is over. But mm-hmm. what's in this series now is Gus Nyquist came in 
and played on the right wing side with Couture and Meyer. And that's a different situation. The one adjustment the Sharks had to make right away was that Logan Couture had to take all the face-offs, including the ones on the right-wing side of the ice. They did have Dylan Gambrell available, but not in that situation, especially after Gambrell took a penalty. Really, yeah. I don't even think played after that. But uh, that's his first career playoff game. Yet uh, they had a left-handed shot, Couture, taking the draws on the right side of the ice, and uh, he came through pretty well. The other thing is that Nyquist looked really good on that line. He it's did. A very good, it's a very good, um, I would say, series for him because Vegas is just that heavy, heavy team. Maybe not a lot of room for Nyquist to make the plays that he's good at. And I think he'll do better in this series. He can really make a big difference. And getting that tying goal in the first period was it was a big part of it. But he played pretty well all night. And I think that was a nice way to, to get things started. Yeah, I mean, there's two things that I look about with the equalizer, first from Nyquist and then from Jumbo. But Let's start with the Nyquist one since we're on that topic. Is that A, he just did a great job of following that shot and being ready to handle that, um, be there for a rebound and pop it back in. And just with that, to level the score one right there when Colorado had jumped out to that early one nothing lead, seemed to take a lot of wind out of their sails. Because I think a lot of people maybe sa said, okay, the Sharks have a little bit of an emotional letdown. They've gone down one nothing early. This is the Avs' chance to jump on them. But they weren't able to jump on them, and Martin Jones was out of his mind making some great saves when it was a one nothing game. But then Gus Nyquist, just timely. I mean, since he's been picked up by the Sharks, you know, by way of that trade, I thought that, you know, he, he just has been more and more so just fitting in and gelling with guys, and that was an instance where he was going to follow that shot. He knew where to be, and it was right place, right time. Well, it was, and, and of course, Brent Burns is getting the shots to the net. Uh, you know, with that quick release that he's got, I think that Vegas did a little bit of a better job in, in putting two men on him and getting in the way. But th that's going to develop through the course of the series. And, of course, they're going to really focus on him when they look at the videotape of, of this particular game. So um, that's something that Colorado will adjust to and the Sharks will have to, too. Yeah, and it was it was interesting to watch, uh, you know, Vegas or excuse me, uh, Colorado goes up 2-1. And then, you know, in this instance, you've also got the, the four-minute penalty kill. Let's go back on that, and everybody wanted to use that for, a, you know, a great trolling moment to go after Vegas and talk about the Sharks being able to kill for four minutes. But, I mean, you can make an argument that's the game right there. Well, you could. I, I think it was an important part of the game, but I still think that Jones's goaltending early was a little bit more important. And the Sharks' opportunism with that Thornton line, every time they were out, it just seemed to be a mismatch for Colorado. Uh, I know it's only one game of a series, and there will be adjustments to that, but yeah. uh, I, I don't think they had too many answers for, for that one particular part of the game, with Thornton being on top of his contest, and Sorensen with a couple of assists, and Kevin LeBanc getting the game winner on a brilliant tip right through the legs of Miko Rantanen and then uh, going top corner on Grubauer. That was, a, that was a beautiful tally. What do you think it was about that third line tonight that was such a, a mismatch for Colorado? Because it did seem that when they were out on the ice, I mean, Jumbo was all over the place. You know, 39 years young, he's out there flying around and fighting deep and winning back pucks and such. And then he's setting up Sorensen and LeBanc and doing all the right things. It, it, was there anything in particular you saw, or was it more of just a, an efforting on the part of the third line from the Sharks? A little bit of that, Ted, but I also think that they're a heavier line than what Colorado faced in the first round against Calgary. Their third line is Matt Nieto, JT Comfort, and Matt Calvert. And Calvert took that penalty at the end of the game, double minor for slashing because he was so frustrated with 
uh, just the, the lack of, of space and time that he had. And that's just a tribute to Joe Thornton and the way that he's guided these two young players, Marcus Sorensen and Kevin LeBanc along uh, through the course of, of the season and now into the playoffs. And it was a it was a big turning point in the game to see them come up with a Thornton's tying goal and then LeBanc's go-ahead goal. Yeah, and let's go back to LeBanc's go-ahead goal. And you referenced it just a second ago, but that was – you know, there's something just different about the way LeBanc skates and then also his puck handling is it seems to just get better and better as the season has gone on. And that move and that shot and just by Jumbo's reaction, just my own reaction watching it happen. I mean, that's as good of a goal as we've seen during these playoffs. Well, Joe Thornton likes to see his line mates respond to something that he does in a game. And, you know, when Joe got the that goal to make it 2-2, obviously that was a big moment. And Sorensen, a huge part of that with that blocked shot coming up the ice on the two-on-one, that was just a great play all the way around. But then I think Joe takes particular pleasure in seeing his line mates get the uh, get the chance to score. And, of course, let's not forget that he got the assist and it was his 100th career assist, only the 24th player in the history of the league to get to that many in the playoffs. So I think it was a combination of a bunch of things there. And let's not forget that that turned out to be uh, a very important goal. Thornton getting the assist on Burns's goal late in the second to make it 4-2. But the, the play that uh, got to LeBanc, just a, a nice job by LeBanc to get through Rantanen. The game-winning goal, that makes Joe happy, yeah. and the Sharks move on. Yeah, it, and it was fun to watch just that entire sequence. And, the, you know, the fact that it was three unanswered goals. It goes from a 2-1 in favor of the Avs to all of a sudden 4-2 in favor of the Sharks. And that's the thing that, you know, the Avs, I'm sure, you know, they, they know who they're going up against. But the Sharks just seem to have a way of reminding teams that they can jump on you and they can jump on you in a hurry. And I know the obvious reference point would be the four power play goals in Game 7, but it, it kind of reminded me of the 3 nothing deficit the Sharks erased in Game 2 when they scored three in a matter of minutes. Just that same idea. The Sharks team, when they score, it's it can come at you in an absolute flurry and just with with speed and violence. It's remarkable to watch. Well, one of the differences between those two games, obviously, is that the Sharks won this one tonight, and they ended up getting another insurance goal with the empty netter with Timo Meyer. And I think that the Timo Meyer goal might be the opening of the floodgates for him because he ended up manhandling Miko Rantanen on that play just before he got the puck and threw it down the ice into the empty net. Won a physical battle with a pretty strong and very talented player and ended up uh, getting that goal. And you remember he had 10 shots on net in game seven, couldn't score. Yeah. And then tonight he kept having all sorts of chances and just could not put the puck into the net. I know it's an empty net goal, but maybe that's the start of something big for a goal scorer that often is streaky. And then the other play uh, that Brett Hedekin and I were talking about was uh, one that Lukash Rodil made in the mm -hmm. offensive zone against Wilson. Just a nice little defensive play, got involved physically. Uh, you know, maybe in game one, he, he didn't play a lot because he made a couple of mistakes and was a little tentative tonight he was less so and I think that that was a nice recovery for him and a, a chance to maybe earn some more ice time what was really interesting to me and again we're talking to Dan Rusinowski right here on morning tide the way this game presented compared to the seven games we saw previously against Las Vegas just I mean not about as close to looking like a different sport as you can get between the way that first series played and just getting a snapshot and the way this second series might play. How was that for you as, as a broadcaster? Because it was pretty jarring for me in watching. 
I wasn't surprised because I've been through this a couple of times. Not my first rodeo, Ted, but <laughs> I, I, I must say that uh, I expected a different series. Uh, as we talked about earlier when we're comparing Joe Thornton's line against uh, against Calvert, Nieto, and Comfort, they, that was something they just didn't have an answer for. This series is going to change in its character as it goes on when everybody gets settled into it, but they're just two different teams. And let's not forget the fact that the Sharks played Vegas last year in the playoffs, so they had emotion there. They're a divisional rival. There's more emotion there. there. There were all kinds of drama in the series all season long. So they didn't have that with Colorado yet. Uh, the Avalanche, believe it or not, are one of the teams the Sharks have the longest history with in the playoffs. Yeah. And that's something that we talked about on the radio tonight because it, it's been nine years since they played in the postseason. But um, a- along with Los Angeles, Detroit, and St. Louis, Colorado is one of the teams the Sharks have played the most in the postseason in the course of their history. It's just been a while. And, you know, a lot of the younger Sharks fans probably didn't realize that because it's been nine years since they played in the playoffs. But uh, I think Colorado up and coming with a, with a player like Nathan McKinnon, who's an amazing hockey player, and uh, with their improved play, I think that uh, we're going to start to see that rivalry ratchet up again in the next couple of years yeah i mean watching this abs team over the course of the year i thought they were very fun to watch and they gave the sharks a a a nice battle in the final regular season game at the tank but it was actually surprising me one of the stats that came out before this uh this game started is that the abs had lost 14 to 15 at the tank heading into this series that's i don't know why i was so surprised by that i mean i know that the abs you know this is they're on the rise and they've been through some tough times but you know, I just always think, and like maybe it's because you allude to that postseason history, I just don't think of the Avs as having that hard of a time in this building. Well, it's it's different in the postseason. You know, you can't even look at the regular season when it comes to that, although it's an interesting thing for you and I to talk about. I, I know that it's totally different on the ice between these clubs, and we'll see a different Avalanche team here on Sunday. There's no doubt about that. I think one thing that Coach Jared Bednar did was he decided to sit – uh, Patrick Nemeth on defense, and he brought back Samuel Girard from injury. And mm-hmm. I, I love I love Samuel Girard. He's not a big guy. He's only five nine and about one hundred and sixty five pounds, but he is a very skilled player. And yet the Sharks took away his time and space, and he's got to get used to getting healthy again. But I think that they really missed the defensive jam that that Nemeth gave them in the series against Calgary. So that's a tough choice he's got because this kid Kale McCarr coming out of college hockey looked pretty brilliant in most of tonight's game had one or two bad moments but he looks like he's ready to uh, to be a top elite nhl defenseman and develop into that soon again we're talking to dan rusinowski here on morning <laughs> tide and dan well i've still got you um i feel that i would be remiss if i didn't do a little bit of flashback with you towards game seven because that you know <clears throat> excuse me that was one of the I mean, I'll never see anything like that in in person again, I don't think. Um, If I do, then, you know, I'd be akin to getting hit by lightning twice. Um, I I mean, just are you still, you know, kind of in awe of that? Because I'm still trying to wrap my head around what we saw in Game 7. I'll probably be in awe of that for the rest of my life. It's just incredible to to understand and comprehend exactly what the Sharks went through. It's not just that one game. It's not just that major penalty and the four power play goals, which is incredible enough. I think it's only the second time in the history of of the NHL that that's happened. Mm -hmm. You go back to 98, I think it was L.A. and uh, maybe St. Louis that that played in that game where somebody did that in a major power play. But um, it... It really was something special to see, 
But I think it, it, the bigger factor is the Sharks were down three games to one in this series. Yeah. And they had never come back from that, ever. They were 0-6 lifetime and down three games to one in a series. So they, they got that monkey off their backs, and they also uh, built an incredible amount of, 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 I guess you could say, equity in, in their efforts to win the Stanley Cup this year by being able to, to do what they did. And, and so they had three straight elimination games. You had, you know, think about Barkley Goodrow. He's sitting in the penalty box in game <laughs> six in overtime, and, you know, it, it's a long summer if, if the Vegas Golden Knights score on the power play and their season ends in game six. But Hurdle scores shorthanded. They win that game with him in the penalty box, and then he does what he does in overtime in game seven. I, I just uh, I think about that and shake my head. But that's what the stories of, of great championship seasons are like. And who knows, maybe the Sharks are in in the uh, mix for a long run. Well, I hope they are for sure, and we get to see it, um, you know, game by game here. It's five down and 11 to go, and they, of course, got one closer uh, tonight against Colorado, a 5-2 win that, uh, well, like you said, we expect to see a different Avalanche team on Sunday, but probably the Sharks realize that. They'll be showing us some different looks as well. But, Dan, always a pleasure. I appreciate your time as always, and I look back forward to uh, – being in the building with you on Sunday once I uh, am back in the Bay Area. Well, I hope that uh, that happens really quickly and safely for you, Ted. And you know what else? I, I did want to remind the people that are listening in that during the course of from the second round on, the only way to catch a local broadcast of the Sharks in the playoffs is to listen to us on the radio. You can find us, of course, on our flagship radio station, 98.5 KFOX, or one of our great Northern California radio affiliates are on the Sharks app or the KFOX app or the NHL app. But what I, what I like to remind people is that, is that some people want to watch the game on the national television feed and maybe get our local broadcast. And tonight I had Jamie Baker and Brett Hedekin on a triple cast. We'll do that a few times on the road. We'll flip between those two great uh, analysts of the game and, and get their thoughts on things and a lot of great features. But there is a way to actually sync up the broadcast to the television feed, which is made possible because of modern technology. And I can tell people that if they want to learn how to do that, if they don't already know, uh, the way to do it is to go to sjsharks.com slash radio and uh, click on the directions there that show you exactly how you can sync up the radio broadcast. So that way, uh, if you don't want to get the national television coverage feed, you want to have a Sharks broadcast while you watch it, you can do it. Dan, as a man who's done it myself, I cannot recommend it uh, nearly enough. And uh, just in using your calls from Game 7 um, and Randy's, of course, uh, you know, the, the coverage you guys provide and the coverage you are still providing on the radio, man, top-notch. And uh, the, everyone would be missing out if they did not figure out how to follow those directions and do it themselves. But you keep up the great work, Ruzi, and we'll talk on Sunday, all right? Okay, Ted. Again, that was the one and only Dan Rusinowski, the radio play-by-play -play voice of the San Jose Sharks. Now let's get into some post-game sound. First, let's hear from the head coach of the San Jose Sharks, Pete DeBoer. Pete, you know, you talked about the importance of the first goal, and obviously you don't get it, but it looked like Martin Jones especially made some key saves and helped you guys settle in. You know, what is it about him lately that's yeah. allowing him to, you know, have success? Yeah, he was great tonight. Um <clears throat> I don't know. You know what? He's found his rhythm, and you know it shouldn't be surprising. He's played, you know, I think over the last four years, a, a lot of great hockey for us. So um, he was he was great tonight. I think you know we knew the first period was going to be tough for our group. Uh, play three elimination games and the last two overtime. 
one double overtime, one almost double overtime. So we knew the first period was going to be tough, and we needed him to make some saves. And I thought, uh, you know, the second half of the game, we started to get our legs and get, get into some rhythm and started to win some battles. And I thought we did a lot of good stuff. And on that note, let's go back and hear from Martin Jones. It can be tough, obviously, after a game seven like that, but we did a great job. We, we hung in there early in the game, and, uh, you know, I, I really liked the job we did in the third. Um, you know, we were grinding them in the ozone, and, and we didn't really give them much. The, the one odd man rush we did give up, Bernsey made a great play. Uh, you know, we've had the same kind of PK all year. It's just uh, we, we play with a lot of pace, and we block shots. We do all the little things. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, that was a huge kill for us, obviously, that four-minute penalty. And let's go back to DeBoer to get him to weigh in on that big four-minute kill. Well, that was a game-changer. You know, we, need, we needed that. You know, I, I think we talked going into the playoffs and after the first round that our special teams were going to have to to win us games. We won one with a power play last game, and I thought our penalty kill was a big part of the win tonight. Ruzi and I talked about the difference in pacing of the game, the difference in style of the game. Let's hear what DeBoer had to say about that in his post-game remarks. Well, you know, it wasn't by design. Two totally different games. You've got a game seven, two nights ago, where you've got two teams that are going, you know, someone's going home for the summer. To, to replicate that type of desperation, you know, is hard in game one in a series. So they're coming off a rest and, and f- trying to find their legs. We're coming off an emotional win and trying to find our legs. So, you know, it, it wasn't the same as that game, but not many games are. <laughs> Joe Thornton had a huge night last night, leveling the match at two in the second period, which kick-started three unanswered goals from San Jose, putting them up 4-2 in the second on their way to a 5-2 win. This is what Jumbo had to say on his big night. No, not really. It just The first period was a struggle, to be honest with you. I don't think we, we had too much energy early on. But we kind of felt our groove, you know, as the middle of the game kind of went on. And, you know, big goal by, by Banker, big goal by Burns, and... You know, we just continue to go at him, but, you know, tough game for us tonight, though, it really was. Jumbo also had nothing but praise on another big night from Martin Jones. He was huge. He's been huge, you know, probably starting game, you know, five, six, seven, you know, tonight. Um, he's such a big part of this team. We, we're going to go as far as he wants to take us, and, you know, another great performance out of him tonight, and he looks uh, he looks calm and just makes, you know, makes the game look easy back there right now. Jumbo, of course, alluding to the fact that the Avs had no counter to what the Sharks did in that three-goal second period that changed the game forever in favor of the Sharks. Here's head coach of the Avs, Jared Bednard, on that second period. Why they had no answers in game one, but maybe why they will in game two. Yeah, I would I would guess that, that most of those came in the second half of that period for sure. Um, number one, they started winning all the races. Like, I thought we had a really good start. We were skating. We were getting numbers at the puck, uh, winning entry battles in our zone, winning entry battles in their zone, and and we're competing and making plays and then it, you know we get we get a lead and if you look at the goals we gave up right right off the face off play we lose a seal out guy gets alone at the net puts in a rebound after a nice play by burns so that's a you know a five second play and then we're we're playing real well at the start of the second period again we're in some power plays at 2-1 we don't capitalize on, on that 4 minute power play and then we put one in their pads, and it's 2-2. So 30 minutes into the game, we're doing a lot of good things, and we're 2-2 off off of two just quick plays, you know. And, and you hate to see them happen, but mistakes are going to be made. It's a 10 minutes after that that I didn't like at the end of the second. 
we lost too many races. We didn't get our numbers to the puck. They started skating in the offensive zone, and we just weren't committed enough to stay with it um, for that 10-minute span. And then the third period, we come out, and we're working again. And, you know, they're sitting back a little bit, and it's a difference in the hockey game was at 10 minutes, and we got to be better than that. But we did a lot of good things. There'll be some things we look at, but we gotta, we got to find a way to ramp up that physical edge that we had and that skating edge that we had and and you know after a week off you know we had some guys that just weren't as good as they were last week so now the sharks are playing with great skill great momentum and of course great confidence which was obviously a factor in the ridiculous game-winning goal from kevin lebank who talked about how that confidence influenced his willingness to make and take that shot and now it's impacting his line and the team you just get uh, more confident uh, uh, every game uh, you play and uh, playing with Jumbo and Marcus. I mean, we're, we're just moving our feet and uh, I think our confidence is growing every game because of our work ethic. So we just got to keep uh, keep that work ethic going for us and uh, that's kind of our uh, our identity on that line. A 5-2 game one win, a 1-0 series lead, and now a chance to take a 2-0 series lead Sunday at 4.30 when the Sharks host the Avs in game two of the Western Conference semifinals. Again, you've been listening to Morning Tide, which drops the morning after every San Jose Sharks playoff game. I'm your host, Ted Ramey, and I'll talk to you all Monday morning. But wait, just a note, this podcast is now available on Google Play and Spotify and should be up on iTunes in the next couple of days as well, thanks to the fantastic work with the Sharks Digital Department. Again, thank you for listening to Morning Tide, putting up with my laryngitis, and most importantly, go Sharks. Thank you for listening to the San Jose Sharks Morning Tide with Ted Ramey. Music composed by Yogi Yend. New episodes appear each morning after Sharks playoff games on the Sharks Sharks Digital Digital Platforms. platforms.